సహనావతు సహనోనకు సహవీర్యంకరవాహైస్వినవీతమస్తు మహిద్విషావహైంతిశాంతిశాంతి పూర్ణమదూర్ణమిద పూర్ణాత్పూర్ణముదక్ష్యపూర్ణమాదాయ పూర్ణమేవశిష్యశాంతిశాంతిశాంతిశృతిస్మృతిపురాణాలయంకరుణాలయం నమామి భగవత్పాద శంకరంకరంకరాచాయరాయణం సూత్రభాష్యకృతౌ వందే భగవంతనఃపునరో గురురాత్మేది మూర్తిభేద విభాగినేమవ్యాప్తేహాయ దక్షిణామూర్తయే నమ గుకారస్వంధకారస్కారస్తర్తక అంధకారనిరోధిత్వాదురుత్యభిధీయే సదాశివ సంభాం శంకరాచార్యమధ్యమాస్మరాచార్యపర్యంతం వందే గురు పరంపర రీడ్ ఫ్రమ్ వర్స్ పురుష ప్రకృతిస్థే ప్రకృతి సద్యోనిమస్రష్టాహేశ్వర పరమాత్మేతి ప్రకృతి గుణైస్సర్తమానోపి సభూయోభిజాయేవంతిపురుషపురుషం the nature of very consciousness <coughs> and bharta bhokta maheshwara all of these words have to interpret it not in a primary sense because none of these words will apply in a primary sense to yourself even though we call him upadrashta the ultimate seer the proximate seer but even then seer also is a role in fact the self is free of every role but what is the self is the content of the seer the content of the seer is then why do you call him seer why do you call him witness you call him something the reason why the self is called seer or witness is first of all to distinguish it from what is seeing or what is witness so what is object is first of all removed from at least the idea of the self so for my idea of the self or i whatever is not drashta whatever is drishyam meaning the body also is drishyam is an object of awareness and so also my sense organs so
so so is my mind, so so is my intellect, even the ego, all of these are in fact that those which I am aware of. And therefore, when the self is said with drashta or seer or witness, definitely he is one of these. Then now when you come to mere drashta, there cannot be mere drashta, meaning there cannot be mere seer. There cannot be just a seer without the reference to the scene. But when all the scene is dropped, then seer also drops, meaning that ultimately the idea of seer also drops and all that remains is seeing. But still the word seer or witness are used in order, as I said first, to exclude the idea, you know, to exclude what is non-self, what is object from the idea of I, and then also to ultimately drop that role of seer. Then the self is just seeing. Anuvandacha, one who is permitter. I am always a permitter, unopposed to anything. There is no opposition. But the wise person has no opposition. As the 14th chapter says, Prakasham cha pravrutin cha mohameva cha pandava If a sattvic thought arises, it's fine. If rajas thought arises, okay. If tamas thought arises, all right. What is very clear, the thought is thought and I am I. That being the case, as we said, the satyam or the truth is never affected or never threatened by mitya, regardless of how the mitya is. Just as a movie screen, you know affected by whatever kind of scenes are going on there because they are mitya. Or I am never affected by whatever kind of reflections there may be because the reflections are an appearance or a mitya. And similarly also, whatever there is in the creation does not in any way affect by its virtue or by its vice. It does not affect the substratum in any way. Just as you say, the mirage water does not wet even a grain of sand. Or a rope snake does not impart any poison to the rope. And that sense it is said, just as we said, the rope which is truth or satya is not opposed to whatever idea you superimpose. Whether you call it snake or you call it garland, whatever you call it, the rope doesn't oppose. And that is called anumanta, meaning that that which is the substratum which sustains everything. <coughs> That's what we meant by bharta. Bharta means the one that sustains. Satta, surti, pradatvena. By imparting satta and surti, everything exists because of self. Everything shines because of self. And therefore, one who provides the existence and shining to everything is called bharta. Bharta means a sustainer. Not sustain in the sense of holding something. But then we say that this, this for example, the part is sustained by clay. Or you may say that the part is sustained by my fingers, but not really. The part is sustained by clay. The clay provides the very existence to the part. The part is because the clay is. The part shines because the clay shines. And therefore we say that the clay is the sustainer of the part. The true is the sustainer of the satyam, sustainer of the mitya. <coughs> In that sense, bharata, bhokta. So how can you say the self is bhokta? He is enjoyer, experiencer. Again, in the same sense that we say he is a witness. When we call him experiencer, again, all those are experienced. They are left aside as not self. And then what is the nature of the experiencer? Just experience. Many here experience means illuminator, the one that illumines everything. <coughs> Bharta, Bhokta, Mahesh, in this manner, one who knows the self, purusham prakritim and whatever is objectified, whatever is illumined, whatever is superimposed, whatever is changing, all of that is non-self, is prakriti, is personality. Gunaisaha. So Prakriti is known along with all its modifications, Sattva, Rajas, Tamas, and so one knows that to be Prakriti and one knows the Purusha, the Self, as Self. <coughs> he is a wise person. This is what is required. So this chapter here presents what we call the Purusha Prakriti Vivega or Drugdrasya Vivega. <coughs> so when that knowledge is there, in the second line, Lord Krishna says, Sarvatha Vartamano you will engage in all ways, in whichever way he now conducts himself. So what is, there are different ways of describing the freedom. 
one way of describing freedom for the wise person is that in any way he conducts himself, he is still free. Sarvathāvartamānopi sayogi mayivartate In the sixth chapter also Lord Krishna said, however a wise person conducts. The idea is that an ignorant person, this cannot be said about anybody else. Usually everybody is under the command of what we call the Vedas or the scriptures, the do's and don'ts, the dharma. So everybody is required to follow dharma or that which is right and avoid a dharma. And therefore an ignorant person does not have freedom to act in any way he or she likes. Because I am accountable. I am accountable for what I do. If I perform an action that is dharma, when I am rewarded, perform an action that is a dharma, well, I have to bear the consequences. Not that I am punished, but then I am accountable for whatever it is that I do. I should not say I am rewarded. But anyway, so good begets good and evil begets evil. And I am accountable for what I do. Wise person is not accountable for what he does. This is what it means. What do you mean, Swamiji? He can get away with anything, he can get away with anything. In fact, Panchavasi says to such an extent that even if he commits a murder, nobody is going to do that. But in case, then also he is not accountable. How can you say that? Only because he does not do anything. Really speaking, even though to the onlookers outwardly appears to be doing things, as far as he is concerned, there is no kartrutvam, no sense of doership because all doership belongs to Prakriti and there is no identification with Prakriti. The idea that I am a doer, I am doing something comes because of identification with my mind, which is where the doership is, which is where the enjoyership is. <coughs> and all these things have been stated in great detail earlier. The idea is that Sarvata, or another way of saying is that he would never do anything that is not right. He is spontaneously good. One who is spontaneously in harmony with the order. And therefore, whatever that person does is always an expression of the order, expression of dharma. Let us say that an ordinary person or an ignorant person has to deliberately perform dharma. Because there are always impulses within me which might distract me from dharma. Whenever I come in spell of anger or greed, etc., then the dharma is sacrificed. One who is free from all those inner impulses, inner compulsions, one who is totally free from all of this. So that is called freedom, really. Freedom is that I am free from the control of every of the impulse. I am free from control of all my compulsions, that's all. So understand that what we call bondage also is only within myself. My own impulses, my own compulsions take hold of me and compel me to do something. So I am I'm held by them, I am controlled by them, and I am under the spell. So yesterday we were told that in dream I am under spell. In the waking also I am under spell of ignorance. So one who is free from that spell, and therefore, as we say, one who is spontaneously good, or one's actions are spontaneously in keeping with order. Then why do you say in whichever way he conducts himself? It is only because that we are likely to judge his actions as right and wrong. So his standpoint is always good. But I said goodness is not a given action. It is possible that people may judge his actions as perhaps right or wrong. But in fact, as far as he is concerned, he is never wrong in the sense that he is spontaneously right good. In short, Lord Krishna says, understand that whatever this person does is dharma. Whatever he says is scripture. So for ordinary people, they run after the scriptures, meaning that they follow the scriptures. In case of these people, the scriptures follow them. This is what he said. So this is called Jeevan Mukta, one who is liberated while living. One is free from all compulsions, in short. Nasabhuyabhijayate, <clears throat> he is not born again. This is another way of describing moksha. He is not born again. Why am I born in the first place? I am born because I have an agenda. There is a reason why I am born. There is an agenda with which I am born. What is my agenda? Agenda is to become free. 
My agenda is to become free. It's a moksha. Moksha means freedom. And so everybody is born with an agenda for moksha or freedom. And I keep on taking new embodiments until the agenda is accomplished. He is a person whose agenda is accomplished. Etat buddha buddhiman syat krita krityasya bharata. Lord Krishna says, knowing this, one becomes buddhiman, intelligent, or the wise in the real sense, krita krityasya bharata. He is krita krityasya. He is fulfilled in every way. He has done what needs to be done. He has attained what needs to be attained. He has done what needs to be done. He has known what needs to be known. That's the one who is free from agenda. See, when an ordinary person dies, then in the time of death also, a lot of agenda is still left unfulfilled. Like a, like a shopping list that is given to me, and I go to a store, and then I check out the items, still certain items remain, go to another store. Until the shopping list is over. What happens in our case, our shopping list is, in the process of shopping, while we are checking out items, I see some new things, and then those things are added into my list. So this is no I mean shopping list. Because there are so many temptations in the stores. Hey, this is also good. All right, and that is also good. And thus, as I see new things, new things keep on getting added. I keep on shopping and my shopping list also becomes longer and longer, a never-ending shopping list. That's why I keep on going from one store to the other, become a human being, then become an elephant, become a mosquito, become a dog, become a devata, again become a human being. Different shops I go in order to fulfill my agenda in form of shopping list. One shopping list has come to an end. Swami shopping list can never come to an end. It is true. It cannot come to an end as long as I think that something else is going to make me happy. Shopping list has come to an end because whatever it is that he wants to shop has been discovered as his own self and therefore there is a freedom from shopping, freedom from acquiring, freedom from any dependence. That is called freedom, but freedom from all agenda, freedom from all compulsions, freedom from all sense of dependence, need, helplessness, and this is called freedom. And moksha is as simple as this. We need not imagine moksha as a place or some kind of physical or physiological state. It is nothing but a state of the mind arising from the true wisdom of the realities of life. <coughs> now in the next two verses, Lord Krishna seems to present some alternative means for for gaining the knowledge, says the verse 24. Dhyane naatmani pasyante Kechidatmana matmana Anye sankhena yogena Karma yogena chapare Kechit atmanam atmana pashyanti Some see the self within the self or with the self. Some see the self with the self. Meaning, some see the self in their own mind. The idea is that seeing the knowledge takes place in my own mind. So, Atmana, Atmana, Atmanam Pashyanti. Some see the self in their self, by their self. Meaning that, see the self in their own mind. Meaning that, they recognize that, I am Brahman, I am full, or I am limitless. So that complete or whole being, I am, this is what they see in their own self. So how do I know? But this is something that I am there with, you know, I am the one who knows. How do I know, Swami, that I am happy? I think you know. How do I know that I am unhappy? In as much as happiness, happiness, whatever be the state of mind is always self-revealing. And simply also, freedom is self-revealing, that I am free. I am free from all the needs. I am free from all the fear. Free from all sense of helplessness. Free from all compulsion. 
I am free from this. Now this is something which is self-evident. Not that it is, I have to verify it with somebody. As Swami will say, one thing I need not verify, am I or not, you know. I don't need to verify. You know. That uh, is self-evident. Like, this well, the story, you know, of this man who was dying. And then the doctor came and pronounced this person dead. And that is the end of it. After ten minutes the person woke up and and just, you know, shut up. Say, I'm alive. His wife says, shut up. He says, oh, he's dead. You are dead, you know. <laughs> so in the form of, you know, in determining whether I'm alive or not, I need not consult a doctor also. I know that I am. Similar to that, I am means free. I know that I am free. It is something that is evident to me. It becomes evident to others also, but it becomes evident to me. <clears throat> That's why it is Atmana Atmanam Pashyante sees oneself by one's own self. How? Dhyanena, by Dhyanena, by meditation. So some people <coughs> gain the realization of the self, if you want to call it, or the knowledge of the self, the vision of the self, by meditation. Anye Sankhyena Yogena some people do it by Sankhya Karma Yoga in Chapare, and some people do it by Karma Yoga. So some people gain the knowledge by Karma Yoga, some people gain knowledge by Sankhya Yoga, some people gain knowledge by Dhyana Yoga. But this is, Swami, what are you saying? I mean, all these different paths, independent paths are there. We saw there was only one path, it is true. So, what dhyana, sankhya and karma, we, we don't still interpret, you know, to, to explain them consistently. So, karma yoga, na, first step is karma yoga. So, first step is, not that each path directly leads, but then indirectly. So, karma yoga leads to sankhya yoga, sankhya yoga leads to dhyana yoga, and dhyana yoga leads to moksha or the uh, abidance in the knowledge, this is what is meant here. So first is Karma Yoga. Karma Yoga, Karma Yoga, Ishwaravudya, Anusthyamanam Karma. When the Karma or the action is performed, Ishwaravudya, with the attitude of offering it to the Lord. As we discuss in the, in the discussion of Bhakti, and when we say that, Bhakti means offering myself to the Lord. And who am I? Whatever it is that I possess, I offer through my actions. And so, Karma Yoga, the first step is a life of offering to the Lord. Which brings about, which subdues what we call the selfishness or self-centeredness. What Karma Yoga is that, my life is centered upon God. My life is centered upon the manifestation that the Lord is. My life is centered upon offering or serving. And this is this slowly and slowly subdues my selfish tendencies. That every time I am about to do something, my insecurities and my utilitarian nature, my greed, my selfishness always makes itself known and wants to control my action. At that time, I deliberately impose there the idea of not selfishness, not self-centeredness, but other-centeredness, other-centeredness. This is a deliberate process. So karma yoga, it is not karma that is important, but it is the spirit or the attitude which I have with the karma, that whenever I am about to do something, my selfish mind says, what is in it for me? What am I going to get from that? Why should I do that? Because I always want to do something when there is a personal reward, when there is a personal gratification. Either my ego gets gratified, all my senses get gratified, some gratification the mind is always seeking. And usually therefore, whatever we do becomes a means of obtaining some gratification for myself. Here it says, no, I do something for the gratification of someone else. That's how my actions are performed to provide gratification. And may I get gratification by the gratification of someone else that may my happiness come from the happiness of others. It's not that Karma Yogi is not happy, except that his happiness comes by providing happiness. 
like a mother, is very happy, so her satisfaction comes by feeding. And so also for karma yogi, his satisfaction comes by making someone else happy. So this is karma yoga. And therefore other-centeredness from self-centeredness. And therefore all the time my mind asking what is in it for me, I always replace it by what is in it for someone else. This is all the selfish tendencies get subdued and subdued and subdued. This is what we call the process of purification of mind. Meaning the freedom from or removal of this self-centeredness. Of course there is a reason why it is there, arising from insecurity, etc. But that's a deliberate process. And that's how the process brings about Antahakanshuddhi, purification of mind. That is freedom from this impulse of all the time seeking the personal gratification. So this is Karma Yoga. That leads to Sankhya Yoga. What is Sankhya Yoga? The kind of deliberation that we perform, what we call the Dhrudvashya Viveka, Sankhya Yoga. The body is drishya, is also an object of awareness. The sense organs are object of awareness. My mind also is object of awareness. My thoughts, all of these are drishya. I am drishta. There are dhrudhrasya vireka. Sankhya is separating the purusha from prakriti. What is prakriti? Made of the three gunas. And who am I? I am the very witness of the three gunas. And that way, second is what we call atma, anatma vireka. A discrimination between the self and the non-self. This is called sankhya yoga. Or shravanam mananam. So, first is karma yoga. Here sankhya yoga means Shravanam and Mananam. Listening to scriptures, Atmanatma Veka, Mananam. And then removing all the doubts with the help of proper reasoning. Then comes Dhyana Yoga, there is Dhyasana. The final obstacle is what we call habitual error. The habitual identification with the Prakriti. Even though I know. So whenever now I am in my right mind, whenever I am alert, then this distinction between the Purusha and Prakriti, the self and non-self, is clear. But again and again, I will overcome by my own habit of identifying with the body, identifying with the Prakriti. And therefore, with alertness, I must overcome the habit of identification of the body. <coughs> this very habit has been there for a long time. It takes a little time to overcome that. So, I say that, now that I am here for four months, when I return to India, when I, you know, when the Swami joins us, you know, when they give me a ride in the car, I always wind up going the wrong side, you know. There's no Swami, not this side, the other side. And when I come here, again it happens for a while. So when I was, this common Swami, so when I went on Swami, you are going to drive or something, you know, so I went to drive or side. So this habit. It takes a little while. You have to be alert. Wait a minute, I'm in the U.S. Now this is a left hand drive, right hand drive, you know, I have to remind myself this is left hand drive. I must go on the right side. Just a habit. So this is something called habitual error. And what it requires is what we call alertness or vigilance. And so also there has been a habit of identifying with the body. And thus all the time asserting, I am Brahman, I am not the body. I am Brahman, not the body. This process is called Dhyasana. It is called Dhyana. And that gives me an abidance in the knowledge. So therefore, here this word summarizes the means of knowledge. First Karma Yoga, then Shravanam Mananam, Sankhya Yoga, and then Dhyasana, Dhyana Yoga. <coughs> you can interpret this verse also if you wanted, that some people gain knowledge by Dhyana, some people by Sankhya, some people are karma, and that all of these are independent paths. If you want to interpret that, people do. See, you find that people have different interpretation of Bhagavad Gita. Why? It's a, because there are verses that lend themselves to be interpreted in a certain way. Except that you take a verse here and there and then interpret, but it must be consistent. The idea is that however you understand every verse must be consistent with the total vision of Bhagavad Gita. 
And therefore, only when you understand this verse the way we did, that will be consistent with what it is that the whole Gita has to say. The verse 25 says, Lord Krishna, Śrutvāṇyebhyaupāsate-śrutvāṇyebhyaupāsate-śrutvāṇyebhyaupāsate-śrutvāṇyebhyaupāsate-śrutvāṇyebhyaupāsate-śrutvāṇyebhyaupā
But that that knowledge can that knowledge takes place in the in the mind of a pure-hearted person, and there are many people like that who are very simple, not highly educated, not very learned, not very skilled in arguing and things like that, but very devoted. And therefore, they are able to follow the instruction of the teacher, and thus bring bring themselves up to a point where understanding. is then this gaining the knowledge is not difficult at all and so this is how other people gain the knowledge so everybody has to chart their own yes knowledge is a course but for antara should be for purification of mind there are many ways understand for moksha only one way knowledge so they say that for reaching the temple which is on the top of the mountain There can be paths leading you to the door of the temple, but from the gate of the temple to the sanctum only one path, and that's the knowledge. Coming to the gate, what do one do? One should be. There can be many ways. So, Lord, in the fourth chapter also, Lord Krishna describes many kinds of yagna. Some people are just oriented towards nama japa. Some people oriented towards yoga. Some people oriented towards dhanam. Some people oriented towards reciting the scriptures. Different people have different kinds of dispositions. And so we find they follow different means. All of them can become the means of antaragashuddhi purification of mind. And then, in a mind which enjoys that purification, understanding that happiness I am, or the God, you know, goodness I am, is not that difficult. And so this is what Lord Krishna says that they be mrityum atitaranti. Even they also cross that path. <coughs> Now again, in the last verses, Lord Krishna summarizes or restates the teaching. Shetramya Ishvara Ekatvesham Jnanam Moksha Sadhanam. To recognize that Shetramya the self is Ishvara, is Brahman. So this recognition of the identity of oneness between the self and Brahman, meaning the self that I am is the self of the whole universe. The self that I am is the self of all. So not only do I know that I am Purusha, different from Prakriti, but also necessary to know that the Purusha, the self that I am, is the self that everyone is, and that I am the self of all. I am everything ultimately. Swami, I am the self of all means that I am everything. When gold is self or ornament, means gold is everything. And so also ultimately discover that I am everything. Everything is manifestation of the self. That is moksha sadhanam. This knowledge is moksha sadhanam, means of moksha. This is the non-duality. That there is no duality, no division at all between myself and anything else. There is only one reality, and that is what I am, and that is what everything is. That is moksha sadhanam. That knowledge is the means of moksha. Yajnatva amrutamashnute niyam yaptat pravakshami yajnatva amrutamashnute. Knowing which one attains immortality, this is what Lord Krishna said. In what way now? How do I know the self is all? So this is what Lord Krishna now proceeds to unfold in detail, beginning from the verse twenty-six. Yavat sanjayate kinchita. Satyam sthavar jangamam Kshetra kshetra jnya sanyogad Tadvidhi bharatar shabhad Yavat sanjayate kinchita Yavat kinchit sanjayate Whatever, whatever there is, there is born. Yavat kinchit sanjayade. Whatever is, there is born. Whatever is, there is created. Satyam. What is satyam? Satyam is the object. Whatever it is, whatever thing it is, that is created. Sthavara jangamam. Where is sthavara or jangamam? Mobile or immobile? Sentient or insentient? Animate or inanimate? Whatever there is. Jadam or chedam? Alive or lifeless, whatever there is in the universe that is created, without an exception. 
Good, bad or indifferent. So they say, Ishavasimunasam, yet kinchu jagatyam jagat, yet kinchu. Whatever there is in this universe that is created, that comes into being. He Bharatashabha, he Arjuna, understand that Kshetra Kshetra Nisanyoga. It is the result of the Sanyoga. It is the Sanyoga means a union here between Kshetra and Kshetrajna. It is due to the combination, a union of Kshetra and Kshetrajna. What is Kshetra? The object of knowledge. Who is Kshetrajna? The subject. The Purusha and Prakriti. The spirit and matter. Understand that whatever is created is created as a result of the combination or the union of spirit and matter. That's the reason why wherever the matter is, the spirit must be. Wherever creation is, God must be, because the creation is not apart from God. Just as the path is never apart from clay, and therefore wherever the part is, then the clay must be. That means God must be everywhere. How do you say, Swami, where is Purusha here in this flower? Where do you call God? In this flower, in the microphone, in this book, everywhere? The answer is yes. So, this you know. Asti, Bhati, Priyam, Rupam, Nama, Chetyam, Shapanchakam. In every object, these five aspects are there. Asti, the flower, is. Bhati, the flower, shines in my awareness. Priyam, the flower has an attractiveness. The flower has an attractiveness. Because the flower is a source of happiness. Rupam, the flower has a form. And Nama, it is a name, namely flower. So with reference to an object such as flower, there are these five aspects. It has a name. Swami, suppose I don't know the name, then what? I don't know what sort of flower it is. It's flower. But I don't know the most about this flower. It is something. The name here stands for the concept. And so name, the corresponding form, and then it is, it shines and it is dear to me. Asti, Bhati, Priyam. Take any other object also, like this clock, is clock also shines, clock also has an attractiveness, clock has a name, the clock has a form. And thus, Yavat Kinchit, whatever there is in this creation, a name, a form, Asti, Bhati, Priyam, it is, it shines, it is dear. Why is it dear, Swami? I don't care for this, it's not dear to me. This flower may be dear to you. I don't care for this flower. But when you say dear means it is a source of happiness. For somebody, everything is a source of or can become a source of happiness for someone. In fact, everything can become a source of happiness for me. Asti Bhati Priyam. Swami, when I see this flower, nothing happens to me. I don't feel happy. Flower, you may feel like it. Suppose something like a rug or a carpet or this, or this loudspeaker, for example, you know. I look at it, nothing happens to me. I don't see it in mean, I, There's nothing attractive in that. How do my microphone stand, you know? So there are things, nothing happens to me. You say that everything is, everything shines, everything is attractiveness, everything is happiness. What is happiness in that? So do understand how everything has the content of happiness. We have to perhaps wait for a time when that thing is useful to me. Normally I don't care for this microphone stand. But then suppose finally come and say a few words and I come here and stand, then microphone stand becomes necessary. Say, please bring the microphone stand. And then the stand is so good that the microphone is held right where the, at the height where my mouth is and I say, thank you, microphone. This loudspeaker also. Normally I don't care for it. But when I am speaking, I need that my voice should reach you. The loudspeaker does it. So anything that is upakarakam, anything that actually helps me, anything that is available to me, that is always an object of my liking. 
Then you always an object that gives me happiness. What gives me happiness? That which serves my purpose. That which helps me. About the microphone stand, about the loudspeaker. But how about the rocks and pebbles are lying out there? Nothing. But how about them? Even they also. It is not that they have to serve a certain purpose. It is that if I find my mind to be really happy, or if I my mind, if I find my mind really non-demanding, then I find a certain beauty even in those rocks and pebbles also. I that people are always picking up rocks. Swami, do you know something? Is a picture of what? Oh, it's a picture of Ganapati. Wow, yeah. It's just a simple rock actually. It was just lying on my doorstep, doorstep. Now it is a rock for somebody. When you look at that thing, when you see Ganapati, hey. And thus a rock also can become an object of happiness. But suppose there is no Ganapati, then also. And everything has an inherent beauty. Everything has an inherent beauty. All it requires is my mind to have the right disposition to see it. Is it not so? It is only when the artist actually present it to us that it looks beautiful to us something. He required to be shown the beauty. But then, as I as we say sometimes, you know, while leaving the home one morning, I was going to work and I was reading something, you know, while a piece of a, a newspaper was there, in, you know, I was if I was something reading, you know, as I was leaving the home, I finished reading, I composed the newspaper and threw it in the street and went. I returned home in the evening at five o'clock. I entered the house. You know, the door is open. Right in the wall, cross. Sorry, something very new. So hey, what is that? That's beautiful. So I admire the beauty of whatever the new thing was kept there. Somebody had shopped and then brought something new. And then, when I said, hey, who has brought this? this then I was told, Swami, look at it closely. What is it? I find the same crumpled piece of newspaper, but very beautifully framed with a nice background placed in such a manner that I was just, I said, hey, how beautiful. Even that also has a beauty. Provided you have eyes to see that. The idea is that everything in the universe has inherent beauty. And if our mind is prepared, if my mind is even rather pleasure, see, in this flower, asti, bhati, all the three are there. As far as asti is concerned, I have no difficulty in appreciating. As far as bhati is concerned, no difficulty in appreciating. As far as pain is concerned, as far as attractiveness is concerned, as far as happiness is concerned, I have difficulty. My own raga basis block the experience of the happiness which is in there. When my mind becomes free from raga dveshas, when I, you know, I find this object also beautiful, any object beautiful, every tree is beautiful, even a leaf is beautiful, even a dry leaf also is beautiful, even a withered flower also has its own beauty. If a real good photographer comes and takes a picture of a dry leaf and shows us, we'll see the beauty of that. Or if an artist takes any kind of a little flower, wither away and draws it, we can see the beauty because it is inherently there. The idea is that inherently the asti, bhati, triyam. In every name and form, it is there. And thus, we have two things now in this. Asti, bhati. What's the common thing? Asti, bhati, priyam that is common in every name and form. So what distinguishes one name and form from the other is that it is name and form that is different. Asti Bhadibhim is that which is common, is the self of all. And so, just as in these two objects, both are made of clay, what distinguishes them from each other? The name and form. The clay is the same. And similarly also, every object in the universe, Asti Bhati Priyam and name and form is therefore union of two factors asti bhati priyam now you've been hearing asti means sat bhati means chit priyam means ananda ananda satyam gnanam anandam or asti bhati priyam or sat chit ananda 
no human, no part can be there without the clay. And similarly also, no human form can be there without asti, bhati, yam. So Lord Krishna says, yavat kinchit sinjayate, whatever comes into being, is kshetra kshetra ni sanyogat, is a union of these two kshetra, what is kshetra? Nama and Varupa is kshetra. What is kshetra niya? Asti, bhati, priyam. Understand? What is prakriti? Nama and Rupa. The name and form is prakriti. What is purusha? Asti, bhati, priyam. Just as this part is a product of the two things. What is it? Clay. And what is? Name and form. So this part is created as a result of the union of the clay and name and form. And other part also is created as a union of clay and name and form. What varies is name and form, the clay is the same. And similarly also, what varies is name and form, asti, bhati, priyam, is the same. <coughs> That's called purusha. And now rupa is called prakriti. Kshetra Kshetra That's the reason why it is possible to see God everywhere because He is present in this way. But then ultimately coming to think of it, even though we say that a part is created because of the union of the clay and name and form. But ultimately what is it? It is clay alone. What happens is that it is necessary for Asti Bhavi Priyam to unite with name and form to become manifest. Asti bhati prem, satchit ananda cannot be manifest to my senses. And therefore, that is called God. Therefore, out of all his compassion, what he does is he assumes different names and forms so that he becomes manifest, so that he becomes the object of my experience. So really, name and form doesn't have any separate reality. In case of part, there is a clay and name and form. Don't think the name and form is a different substance. The only substance is clay. What is name and form? Just a medium of manifestation. The clay, you know, to manifest itself, assumes different names and forms. And similarly also, yasti, bhati, priyam. Satyam, jnanam, anandam. Satchit, ananda. Assumes all these different names and forms in order to become manifest. And therefore, what is important here? is clay. Doesn't matter what the form is. And similarly also, what is important is asti, bhati, priyam, in whichever form. And so it is this vision that is described beautifully in subsequent verses. Let us take a look at the next verse here. Samam sarveshu bhuteshu Tushthantam Parameshwaram Vinashyatsva Vinashyantam Yaf Pashyati Sapashyati So just continuing with our example with which we started here, this simple example. Lord Krishna says, Samam Sarveshu Bhuteshu Tishthantam Parameshwaram Parameshwaram the Lord, Tishthantam remaining, Samam the same, Sarveshu Bhuteshu in all the beings. The Lord who obtains equally in all the beings. This is very important. The Lord who obtains equally in all the beings. Lord means what? Satyam, Jnanam, Anantam, Brahma. That is Puram. That is whole, complete, of the nature of harmony, of the nature of beauty, of the nature of happiness, of the nature of fullness, that obtains equally in all the things. Sarveshu Bhuteshu. Just as whatever be the size of a part or be the, the vessel, the clay equally obtains in the sense that clay is the self of each one of them, clay equally imparts them the existence to all of them and similarly also the Lord Asti Bhati Priyam Satchit Ananda obtains equally not that because there is an ant which is small an elephant is big therefore there is no Satchit Ananda there and less yet no in each one of them the wholeness of completeness is the same 
That's the reason why everyone is qualified to know that I am the whole because that's the nature of the self. I may not be qualified for other things, but definitely for this one everyone is qualified. Samam dishtantam, equally abiding in all unequal things. Why is it necessary to say that? Because there is no equality otherwise. There is no sameness anywhere. Every name and form is unique and therefore there is nothing that is equal or nothing that is identical. In all the things that are evidently or apparently non-similar, dissimilar, the one that is the same in all of them, in all dissimilar. Adam, in all the many, one that obtains the one in many. The same in all that is similar. And Vinashatsu, Avinashantam, the name and form of nature is to change. It is perishable. In the perishable, the imperishable, the in the changing, the unchanging, in many, the one, in dissimilar, dissimilar, in all disparities, that which obtains in the same way. Like the pot, there is something perishable here, something imperishable. What is perishable? The shape, the name and form is perishable, is changeable. But the clay does not change. Even when this pot breaks and becomes species still, the clay remains clay. You turn it to powder, then also the... It is what we call the irreducible or indestructible. Every change in fact supported by the changeless. Every change requires a substratum which is changeless. Every train that is running requires a track that, that is stationary. Every wheel that is turning requires an axis that does not turn. Every chain requires a platform that does not change. And therefore, the whole universe is changing, the whole universe is moving, the whole universe is undergoing modifications. That shows that there is a principle which does not change, which does not move, which does not perish. So this gives us a great hope, understand, that there is something imperishable, there is something changeless in everything that is perishable or changing. Yaf Pashyadi, one who sees that, Sah Pashyadi, he sees. One must see that. With the two eyes we see the name and form. With the third eye we must see what? Gasti Bhati Priyam. So Lord Shiva has three eyes. With the two eyes he sees that we do. What? The names and forms. Lord Krishna says, even though seeing he does not see, the one who sees little name and form, meaning that, one who thinks that this is all there is, the name and form is all there is about this, he does not say. Yes, the name and form is the vehicle for manifestation of asat chit ananda. That is satyam jnanam anandam. That is Brahman. That is the Lord. That's the beauty of the harmony. The one who sees that really sees. <coughs> and this vision is now unfolded subsequently in other verses also. But Samam Dishtantam, one that obtains or abides equally in all of them. Now, Asti Bhadi Priyam may be a little abstract, very abstract concept, you know. Coming down to something tangible, you know, a day-to-day life. Coming down to something tangible, Swamiji, the Asti Bhadi Priyam, you say that it's all, I can understand intellectually, but doesn't strike me, you know, when I meet somebody, Asti Bhadi Priyam doesn't register in my mind. So, coming down to something more tangible. As you say, Brahman is God. So, that is why we have this picture. As we have these beautiful, you know, images like Lord Krishna is there, Dakshinamurti is there. All of these represent this principle. Asti Bhati Prem, a name and form. So, whatever we are Ishtadevata, let's say Dakshinamurti is the Lord. Isma Ishtadevada or Ganesha or Lord Krishna, whichever one it is. Dakshina Murti, Nirmalaya, Prashantaya, Dakshina Murtaya Namaha. Who is Dakshina Murti? Nirmala, ever pure. Prashanta, ever tranquil. Ever the nature of joy, tranquility, purity. That's Dakshina Murti. All right? That Dakshina Murti is equally present in everyone. Same tranquility. Purity, the joy, is equally present in everyone. Our Lord Krishna is nothing but embodiment of love and freedom and happiness, which is the content or essence of everything. Understand that what this verse says is that 
inherently everyone is loving everyone is beautiful everyone is good everyone is kind all the very best thing that we associate with any good person they are all there in everyone that is the inherent nature of every living being but swami we see a lot of cruelty in the world we see a lot of injustice and all of that is said is only incidental all of that is the product of ignorance that's all in the name and form but inherently as i said the most evil person also the most cruel person also just give him the right condition give the right condition meaning what just make him feel accepted make him feel loved if he that is loved accepted you find that the very best that is there in that person will become manifest he also will become a kind person <clears throat> it may not last too long but there can always be sparks of that goodness for anyone you take the life or history of any anybody in the even in ravana then also there are moments when you find there also becomes a loving person that he also becomes kind or loving when his son indraji dies he is just weeping you know you can see how can ravana cry the one who makes everybody weep is called ravana you know but he also weeps because that compassion love is there also all the ravana requires is the right condition which he may not have gotten in his life and that's the reason why all the time we see only greed and cruelty and lust in him present that is only incidental inherently that goodness kindness beauty harmony is there everywhere <coughs> and that is what vedanta teaches us that in our relationship with the world what should be the basis what appears at the name and form level what appears a level of personality is that how i should really evaluate the person what is there is a very core person what is in the core is asti bhati priyam is all goodness all kindness all love all divinity whatever you want to call it all purity that is the core of everyone and see why i am saying all of this is in fact mahatma gandhi put this into practice he says i trust everybody because inherently everybody is good even the britishers also however whatever kind of cruelties they may have inflicted upon the people in india still he says i'm not going to hate them i'm going to love them invoke from them also that inherent goodness which is there that's how you conquer the person so this was his method which is what he learned from buddha or christ the conquering by love in that way he had some difficulty with lord krishna you know in bhagavad gita let only learn that lord krishna is more practical of course than other people and so that is a different matter but this is the method of conquering invoke the very best that the person has for that you have to be good of course what it is that i must invoke that very best which is within myself that is called karma yoga or that is called worship of the lord or karma yoga what is karma yoga whenever i am about to perform an action let the very best in me become the basis of performing action let that generosity whatever goodness in me let that be invoked in performing every karma so let brahman which is myself let that be invoked so that's called karma yoga upasana that that is invoked all the time which leads ultimately me to know that that is myself knowledge does not take place unless that has been done so that is why sanyasastu mahabaho dukham aapnu ayogatah the yoga is invoking that very inherent goodness which is there in me and everywhere in the world yah pashyati sapashyati so this requires vivekan name and form asti bhadi par all the incidental and the inherent all the goodness is the inherent one who sees that that can never be denied in short that evil can never deny goodness the goodness is due free from evil but where evil is there also the goodness must be because god must be there he is the support sustainer of everything bharta bhokta maheshwara so when you see that yah pashyati sah pashyati when you see that he says so this is how lord krishna is how why how why is it that oneness is possible not the oneness gives a moksha because there is oneness which is truth everything else is mithya so nam rupa is mithya meaning that all the evil is mithya 
and only goodness is real. This is how we should understand our practical life and try to put that into practice. That's called practicing Vedanta, you know. Practicing Vedanta is giving reality to goodness and recognizing that all evil is incidental, mithya, out of ignorance, not knowing what is right, that's why a person is wrong. Nobody is deliberately bad, not knowing how to be good, the person is bad. So thus giving this benefit of doubt, then that becomes the basis of karma yoga and then that leads to the knowledge. Okay. Om Puramada Puramidam Purat Puramagachyade Purnasya Puramadaya Purameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Vajarayanam Sutra Bhashyakrutavande Bhagavantavunapunah Ishwara Gurvatmeji Murti Hegarivane Vyoma Vyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murti Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Guru